Hello and welcome to the Nib Section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. I'm Diana Dye, producer-in-chief. This episode, instead of our regular panel format, we're sharing with you part two of our collector series, an interview with fellow Sydney cider and fountain pen collector Costa Kutsis. While some of us are drawn to pens from many different manufacturers, Costa's collection is overwhelmingly centred on one now extinct brand, Omas, and their signature celluloid pens in particular. Sharon and I sat down with Costa back in February to chat about his fascination with Omas, the online communities of dedicated collectors, the book he's hoping to write about Omas, and lots more. A brief note about the sound quality. There was a technical issue near the end of the interview, and our mic picked up a lot of static, and we apologise in advance. Our listeners, and more importantly, our editor, Denise, is probably relieved to know that we recently invested in some lavalier mics and a handy recorder, which will hopefully make recording on the go a lot easier in future. Now, on to the interview with Costa. So, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Do you want to maybe give a bit of an introduction as to how you got into pens and what your collecting habits might be? Yes, I, when I finished school, I started working at Peter's Kensington, sort of between university and non-university holidays. For whatever reason, I ended up on their pen counter at the time, which was like 95, 96. It was really interesting because Mont Blanc wasn't distributed by Mont Blanc. It was distributed by a distributor. You sort of had Waterman that was being made by Gillette or owned by Gillette, but still making some beautiful pens like the Patricians and the Le Mans series. And then you had like a lot of new companies coming into Australia. So you had Omas coming in and Monty Grappa coming in. They're all being distributed by small suppliers who are trying to build relationships. So as part of that, I kind of got hooked. I always thought I was going to collect something in life. Part of me (laughs) thought I was going to collect watches. And then I sort of realized that to collect watches with meaning um, is going to be quite an expensive habit. (laughs) Just a little bit too broad. And, And I did that you know, part-time basis, a couple of days a week, but usually full-time during uni holidays. For like five or six years, so I saw a lot of involvement. So I saw sort of Mont Blanc corporatize. I saw um, Monte Grappa come in in a big way. I saw almost go through two or three distributors. I saw Pelican as well. And kind of one thing that always captivated me was the celluloid. And I remember you know, going to New York and you'd go to the big pen stores in New York and you could kind of buy everything but the most unique pens um, and they had the full range um, was sort of the MLC awards. So from then on, well, initially I was just sort of buying opportunistically and I could have bought a couple of brands. I then kind of focused on OMAS and really I focused on celluloid. So everything in front of this is celluloid. Um, I do have some non-celluloid pens. <laughs> Those non-celluloid pens, though, are kind of like the titaniums. And I did bring any 360s today because I couldn't fit them in any cases. Um, and I got a couple of sort of those resin pens, but I've tried to really focus on the celluloid. Like I've done it for a variety of reasons. Like I like it. I like the way they look. I like the way they photograph. Not that I can take any decent photos. But I like the originality. Like I, I do like the fact that this stuff is hard to handle. It's hard to make. You look at like the ASC pens that are produced now and really it's only been their last edition that they figured out how to polish the pens. Which was the last edition? That was the Arco? Yeah, so the Arco is quite good, but there's a Wild now. Um, and the Wild actually is first class from a polishing perspective. And they said that it took them time to figure it out. And also just the Paragon shape. Like there's no one who's done it. Like I saw photos from the factory after it closed down and photos of the machines and they were unique. 
machines. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't someone who just had a 3D wave and was milling. Like they were sort of customised machines that let them do those finishes. So I'm kind of weird in the sense that I don't write with any of the pens. <laughs> so why um, Omar Celluloid in particular? Because you would have seen Montegrappa enter the market and they had quite a distinct range of celluloid pens yeah, themselves as well. I kind of just liked how natural it looked. Like I think, and I've got Dolce in his book there, he says that the celluloid that Omas used was celluloid that was like as, as directly comparable, if not identical, to the celluloid of the 30s and the 40s. It's not the acetate, I think it's the nitrate they call it. It's the stuff that if isn't handled properly can explode, so it has to age. <laughs> it's the stuff that actually can also go wrong. So the Alan Sheeran in particular, like I've had people who refused, so dealers who refused to sell sell it to me because they just are scared that it will crumble and fall apart. And even with the blue, I did have a blue that didn't have the purpling issue and now I traded that for something else and the one that I've got has got a bit of purpling in it. So we'll see how that goes. So the fragility of it is strangely appealing and also, you know, the fact that no two are alike. But it does have, I think, a sort of warmth and naturalness that some of the others sort of don't have. And colours that I never really thought that I would like. Like I I have a love-hate relationship with Briarwood or um, Radica, I think they call it because it's the only, it, there's a variety of issues that I've had with one particular pen. But Sinope, yeah, so not that one. Another one that I've got in that finish that um, we don't talk about. Um, but Sinape, that mustardy colour is incredible, and, and more so because of the way it's involved. So I think you know, before we talked about comparative celluloid analysis, and Sinape's another one that has changed in colour. So the sort of original Sinapes of, or Sinap, I'm probably pronouncing it very badly, but, but that was the original of 97, say, and then these are the more modern, sort of 2003 but certainly like you know you've seen recently like the demand for arco brown i kind of get that although i never really i did it always appealed to me but i have to say that arco green has always been my favorite arco green's been my favorite out of the entire um omas yeah it's my favorite and they have you know and even the reds and the greens the saf green and the reds which aren't as popular or as pricey like if you get a good one the sort of shininess you can get of the gold and the bronzes coming out of it actually quite nice but they're not an easy pen. So these, like, you've got the issue of the celluloid degrading. You've got the issue that if you do open them up, you can smell the camp, which always worries you that something's about <laughs> to go wrong. Like the OMAS plating, luckily all this is kind of tarnished and will come off, and I've actually stopped polishing the fear of actually rubbing through. <laughs> um, and I'll just do it every so often. It's not that they're um, a bad quality. It's just that they're, um, like, everything Italian handmade and quite idiosyncratic. Um, yeah. So you mentioned that... Um you're a bit of an odd one in that you don't actually write with any of these. Is there a particular reason to that? Um, my writing's not very good. <laughs> um, so I don't think I'd do it any justice. I think the other bit that I'm odd about is that it, it really is single brand and even within single brand, it's single focus. And I think that came out of at some point I realised that I wanted to do one thing properly. And like there are, and, and I didn't want to be like a limited edition person who just bought every Mont Blanc limited edition or every writer's series because that's the other thing about me. Like I get to this point where like if I started buying writer's series, I'd want to buy every one regardless of whether I liked it or not. And unfortunately, like it's probably about three I really like and the rest are kind of, yeah, they're nice pens, but I don't think I'll do it. So you're not writing with them, I guess, is odd. <laughs> um, I have been talking to you recently that maybe I will get a couple yeah. of daily writers, but even that has been an interesting experience because I think I said I wanted to get a three vintage, vintage pens. A vintage Mont Blanc as a vintage daily Mont Blanc writer. Vintage Mont Blanc as a daily, like a, a coral from yeah. made in Denmark because I like the story behind that. Mm-hmm. I like the ingenuity, how the various firms, the Italian ones, the German ones, had to suffer sort of and, and, and find their way post the war in terms of steel nibs and whatever. For some reason... 
yeah, the coral number 20 Denmark really sort of appealing to me. It's got a rubber sack, so, you know, I'll be interested to see how that will go in daily use. There's no cartridges there. So I might have to get a pelican as well. Um, just to, to but, yeah, that's still – yeah, as I said, I'm just – I'm not a neat writer. I kind of don't enjoy the look of my handwriting, so I've just decided to, to leave them as they are. And I'm not really sure if that's a good thing to tell you the truth. In terms of, I think the pens are actually designed to be used, and that's not to say that I think any of them leak or whatever. But it would be interesting in, in terms of if you put one of these against like one of Nicholas's pens that he sort of fills all the time, like <laughs> you know, will mine crumble? <laughs> will you find a bit of cork seal or whatever there, or piston stuck half the way through? Like I think you know they're probably designed to be used. It's like a sort of vintage car; like they need a little bit of use to keep them going. Every once in a while. Every get once the in a while. Started. Yeah, get them tuned. But, yeah, so far I've resisted the temptation. So a very personal question. Yes. Do you mind if I ask how many pens you have in the collection? A lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. And interestingly, I know you don't collect exclusively fountain pens. You get the full set, right? Yeah, so I haven't – I kind of won't go out of my way to buy a rollerball or a pencil or a pen. But if the set's being offered, I won't break the setup. So, yeah, I've had to get and – and I've had opportunities to break the setups, but I just didn't think it was the right move. So if if the set's on offer, then I'll get it. don't know where I'll get an unmatched rollable refill in the coming years. Um, I think the, the ball pen ones are pretty easy to come by. Like a lot of people like the mechanical pencil. Like I've got – I know people in the US who will collect mechanical pencils because they see that as a great technological evolution and revolution in terms of the way they've progressed. Well, comes now, down to space as well eventually. <laughs> <laughs> now that OMAS has closed down and they've moved their celluloid stock onto AC, ABC? ASC. ASC. Are you still collecting vintages or have um, you moved it on to another brand? No, I'm still sort of – so I'm at the point now where it takes me a lot to buy a pen, I guess. I think <laughs> I was pretty prolific a couple of years ago. Once the closure came. If something comes up, again, OMAS celluloid, yeah, I'll seriously think about it. There's things that are still out there. You know, Paragon and the 12-sided design is interesting, but in terms of one-offs and things you don't see a lot of, like the pens they produce for pen stores are pretty incredible. So what I call the old Bologna style, uh, which someone corrected me the other day and said, oh, no, it's the non- it is the cylindrical Paragon. Um, A cylindrical Paragon? Cylindrical Paragon. It's about Paragon length. Same bottom and top, but just not faceted. And I think that was just probably for cost. But there's pens in that that you just don't know where they came from. They'll produce 10 or 20 for Italian pen stores, nibs that you kind of haven't seen. And I think they're actually, like I like the 12-sided pen, but I think these are nothing less special. Like this is probably the best-looking Briarwood, that Briarwood or Redica pen I've seen. It was made for um, Moresi in Italy. It's got a lovely tarnished rose gold trim, but it's got <laughs> its own sort of Moresi flexible nib on it, which is an OMAS nib just engraved differently. And yeah, you only really saw it in this style rather than the paragon style so that's got a beautiful coppery burnished yeah that one's color. kind of um lovely rusted a little not rusted tarnished a little. oh so, no the, the celluloid yeah, the celluloid yeah it's metallic yeah so those pens to me they'll they'll always be them because you'll never find them like there's a bunch of pen stores in italy that are small stationers that don't have websites you physically have to go there they're outside of the main cities and they would have had limited runs produced for them Actually, I'm really keen to go to Japan because I've always been told there's a lot of big OMAS collectors there and see what's that like. I know there's a couple of big ones in Florida and the US as well. Like I have bought some ASC pens and I think they are getting better, but I think like until 
they actually do something like this, like they do the 12-sided pen if they get there. Like, to me, it's not the same. And, and everyone who's, even people I've spoken to who sell them and fiercely passionate about them just say, like, OMAS is OMAS, OMAS is gone. Don't think anything's going to replace them. So really, for me now, I'm in a bit of a consolidation, try and enjoy them, think about what's next, maybe try and trade a couple that I've got doubles of if I can get organized. You know, the, the other interesting thing now is, like, if any of them, if something happens to them, you know, when ASC first brought out some of its pens, they were using OMAS clips modified to put the little thing on the bottom of the clip and i think you know the clip stock is gone i think mm -hmm. they might be out of we're coming very close to being out of um the the arco. of the arco i don't think they've got exclusive use i think when the factory closed down it's not unfair to say that some of it went walking on a paid or unpaid basis <laughs> so i've seen photos of big uncut sheets of celluloid which was really interesting so before it went to rod stock so we'll see but i think for me, I'm, I'm pretty happy with what I've got. And, yes, I'll pick up stuff as it comes up, but I'm probably slowing down a bit. But for me now, it's actually what I do with them. And, you know, whether you can put something together that sort of documents the sort of post-90s celluloid era, or one of the better words. So next time I have my long service leave, perhaps I'll <laughs> devote myself to that. So, <laughs> Costa, I've heard from Sharon that you are presently in the process of writing a book about OMAS celluloid pens. I'd love to hear about it, that project. Yeah, so that's very much in its early days. I think we were renovating a house last year, so that sort of went on the back burner. Really, it would be sort of in the 90s following, so that sort of 90s era following when they reintroduced their words. So Volcini stops about then. He sort of stops at about 91, 92. So you're talking about Emilio Dolcini's book. Is it in Italian or English? Italian and English. Italian and English, The History of an Important Italian Firm and Its Entire Production. Correct. And it is, let me just check the, um, it was published in Milano in 1997. And we'll take a photo of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that sort of is predominantly about the vintage era. It starts to slow down in about 58. And I think that's mainly because OMAS itself started to slow down in 58. So that's when sort of control passed to the next generation I think, you know, like Swiss watches, everyone struggled in the 60s and 70s. You look at some of the pens that were produced, clearly struggled a little. But then they started tooling up, and that tooling up led to the ability to do and produce what's in front of us, particularly in the early 90s. Uh, and then they sold out to Louis Vuitton. So for me, like, it's it's hard to gather a body, body of knowledge for pens that were produced post sort of 91, 92, where his book kind of stops, other than going into some limited editions. The most difficult thing about it is other than time and also, and a lot of that time will be around photographing things, I think, is kind of completeness. Like I, if I tried hard enough, I'm sure, and I know I can at least speak to four people who are ex-factory employees and we could expand that to get the stories and stuff like that. We've got people in the US from a dealer's perspective, collectors. It's a guy at the Bok factory in terms of talking about that era. Like there's enough people to speak to. You know, I don't think you'll ever be able to say whatever you put out is complete for reasons that we've previously discussed, like this little thing that we found a couple of weeks ago. So I've got no illusions of saying this is the complete history because it's not. But there's enough there that you could do something. It's just more around time and even format now. So I think books, while they're great, do you do it as an e-book? Do you take the plunge and, and, and copy it? But it's something I'd like to do. It's just really, we'll see how long. And then there's people in Italy who will help me write it and have written um, extensively about vintage pens before. But uh, I'm not in a phase of life where I can pick up sticks <laughs> and go to Italy for like six weeks to, to sort of write it. So, Next long service. Like. Well, no, I've got two young kids. So <laughs> might be when I retire. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I, I, I really want to do it. And I've, I'm amassing 
I wouldn't say boxes, or at least I'm amassing shoe boxes of things. Mm. <laughs> um, so catalogues, and, as well as pens and histories and stuff like that. Um, It'd be a shame if if that um, institutional knowledge just became just, lost. Yeah. Um, so I, I think one of the things we do want to get so in the factory, I think the sort of international sales manager played a big role in putting it together. But there's a number of people who actually work there who are still around and, and want to uh, and are willing to talk, and they talk about how they manufacture the pens and things like that. But mm-hmm. You know, like, so when Box started making the nibs, like all those people who used to make the nibs are gone and that was kind of like in the 2000s, so that's 18 years ago now. Like I'm, you may not be able to get much in terms of first-hand expertise about the nibs. And you talk about what about the service department? And I'm pretty sure the service department consisted of one lady <laughs> um, <laughs> and still does today. <laughs> and I don't think she was ever an employee. I think she's just someone who got sent the pens. But she can, she can fix anything. <laughs> can fix anything and, and there's a few things i have to send back to her but i'm just <laughs> dreading italian posts so i can control it over there uh but i've just got to learn how to say dhl in italy in italian um because <laughs> italian posts is just um you just want to make sure you get the pen back and i'm not always confident uh, you know dhl fedex those type of things you get a tracking notice about every five minutes <laughs> where the thing is mm. sometimes in italian post you have to sort of cross your fingers hope for the best hope for the best i used to work for montegrappa and whenever we used to send repairs back, it would be one of those cross your fingers, hope for the best, mm. and maybe in three months' time they'll tell you that it's arrived eventually. Because um, all of Italy shuts down over August, uh, all yeah. of August and partway through September. Ah, oh, and you get things like poster strikes and snap strikes <laughs> and train strikes, which is fine. Like if that's that's the way it happens, right? You can't complain. It's just got to deal with it, um, but it does take time. Almost makes it more worthwhile to get a trip over there. Almost. We have a bunch of things you need to do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Have you ever made um, a trip to Italy specifically to browse pen stores? No. It so, sounds like it'd be a fruitful sort of yeah, excursion. My, yeah, my Italian not, is not good enough. I think the other interesting <laughs> thing, that, like I know actually in the last couple of years because people have been selling like the old displays, that sort of three or four have closed. And, and like it, to me it's about getting outside of Rome and and mm-hmm. out of and Bologna. So, like, I've been to Novelli in Rome. It's a mm-hmm. fantastic store. Um, the owner's a fantastic guy. I even sort of email him now with random questions. He's always back to me within 24 hours. And I haven't bought a hell of a lot from him, uh, mainly because of opportunity and just timing. But Marco's lovely. And, you know, there's a fantastic pen store in, in, in Napoli and in other places. But I'm more interested in those little ones. And it's almost like you have to go out on a sort of guided tour. Um, but, you know, I, there's a couple of pens in here that were bought probably two or three years ago now, and they were new old stock or display stock from 91. So the pens are engraved 91. They come in the boxes that were from 91, and they've been sitting in the store since 91. Maybe, maybe not out in the sun or whatever, but... They haven't been airing those selling lights. <laughs> yeah, you've got to have the fans, right? But um, you still get that here, whereas here, like, I don't think you'd have that. Can't imagine, and that's fine. Like it's a very different market, and it's more of a corporate store or whatever. But like, I have to say though, um, our listeners overseas might not know what Peters of Kensington is, but it's a how do you describe it? It's, it's um, a, a homewares homewares um, department store, discount department store. Yeah, it's kind of got everything. It's a bit of warehouse, <laughs> yeah. um, and they have a fairly large um, fountain pen and stationery department. Yeah. But that was where I bought some of my first OMAS about three years ago. And they had new old stock, the Senna limited edition, which is yes. definitely from the 90s. Yeah. So that had been sitting in the warehouse but because for 10 years. was quite notorious for buying anything that was discontinued so long as it was at a discount. 
they would. Yeah, they didn't mind stocking things up, but Peter um, always had the space to hold stock. And, and you know, I remember once when we bought heaps of Monte Grappa, even when Mont Blanc, <laughs> before Mont Blanc was distributed by Mont Blanc, like I wouldn't say there was Mont Blanc everywhere, but there was a lot of Mont Blanc and it moved. But if it doesn't move, like he doesn't freak out. I bought my first Mont Blanc from them many, many years ago. And then I bought actually my second Mont Blanc from them probably about four years ago and it was a 146 Burgundy. Yeah. So New old stock 146 Burgundy. Yeah. yeah. Sitting there. It was just sitting there and yeah. they gave it to me at a discount because there was no box. So yeah, It's very interesting because in the most recent ASC pen, which is the, the wild celluloid in that sort of big – what I call Bologna style, but that, that big pen like the Arco. The packaging is different now. It's not in like a rebranded OMS box or even a, a, a C box. It's kind of like this sort of black thing. And the, the comment on it is sort of cellophane window. And the comment on it is, is we're trying to save the environment or streamline the packaging <laughs> because, you know, of course, pen collecting isn't about the boxes. But for some people, it, it is, can be yeah. about the boxes. It is about And boxes, boxes can add a lot of value. Um, you know, one of the interesting things about OMS, and it's and you look at like this, their limited editions of the 90s, and you look at the Marconi and the cinema and the Galileo and sort of Return to the Motherland, whatever, and like the packaging was very unique. Mm-hmm. And you compare that to the later limited editions, and they, probably in that middle period, I think, I wouldn't say they stopped trying, but perhaps they focused more on the pens. The later stuff, when you got into the Charles Darwin pen, the sort of Samo edition, was still quite unique, but like the packaging counted. The Marconi yeah. thing in this little wooden box was beautiful. Uh, and, and the other thing actually I only realised once I was reading Dolce actually was how good they were at Briarwood and those wooden pens. Um, and it wasn't just like the 15 they produced in a set. It was like the pens they did in 87. And, and the original MoMA, I didn't know this until I looked at the book last night, so the original MoMA wasn't the black resin pen. It was actually a, a was Briarwood. A wood. It was a wood pen. So I've seen one of those, actually. Oh. So you have one of the... I've got one of the Precious Woods, the Precious Prinici woods. Legni, I think Which that's how it's called. I have the... Is it oh, the heart? Ebony. I have the... No, I have the Purple Heart in the Precious Woods and um, the Ebony in the large Paragon-shaped. Um, oh, so the later and, issue. Yeah. yeah. But your, I think your um, the Purple Heart was Has the, the old, original. Yeah. yeah. You can tell from the nibs. What's uh, the craziest story you have throughout this collecting experience? Was there one pen that you maybe went on a bit of a trek or a bit of a journey to try and find? Oh, the worst thing is when you go for a year trying to find something. You find it and suddenly it's competitive, of course, so you (laughs) buy it. And then a week later it comes up again. (laughs) So I think last year I made a comment about New Revolutions, which was, you know, never think... That um, FOMO. FOMO, yeah, don't get FOMO because there's always because there's a number of times um, and, and it's any pen, right? So I remember I found a 360 um, in Vietnam in the in the Arco, right? So that's the, the one that they made the 36 wow. of, and I found it online, perfect, done, and I make this video about how great it was, got it, blah blah blah, and then a week later I was offered a yellow cost, and. Um, <laughs> At the time, I passed because it was like a prototype or whatever it was. It was unnumbered. I don't really know. <laughs> Obviously, it had come from a factory, but, you know, it's the provenance of it. <laughs> but it was just weird that a week later it happened, and it's happened so many times. I would have thought prototypes would be worth more than the numbered editions. It's really hard to tell because, like, there's prototypes and then there's so stuff that people say is a prototype, okay. but there's no marking. Then there's ones that are numbered double zero or triple zero or quadruple zero. 
out of the number and mm-hmm. they're considered prototypes. And then there's other pens that have got no number on them at all and they've called and they're marked prototypo and that's quite interesting. The bit that I struggle with and what I've been seeing more recently, and this is just kind of life I guess, is where you see something that's marked as a prototype which was issued in 93 but it bears a nib from you know 2015. Mm-hmm. And now one of the interesting things, and I haven't really learnt a lot about true vintage pens but one of the things that scares me is just this concept of like a bits of pen because that's kind of it's not really what I want to play where it's a bit of this a bit of that and like you'll never know for sure but when it's a sort of bits of pen across eras like that sort of like I sort of pay notice to that so there is a couple of pens I'm not sure if I've got them here that are marked um, prototypo and there's a couple of pens which I've got which are marked double zero and stuff like that as well it's just really hard to know they were like it was it was interesting like i've got an asc pen that's got a number on it and i said i don't want it dipped whatever mm. and um i saw it the other day and i know it was there because the guy took a photo of the pen in his instagram feed or youtube feed and it was in the steve brown video he was sitting there writing with it pulling it apart <laughs> like, hey that's my pen <laughs> so i wrote to the guy i guess i oh, should be honored because like it's famous now. <laughs> Yeah, is that the wild one that he is, had the recent Yeah, it might be. Yeah, let's not talk about the past, <laughs> okay. but yeah. <laughs> there are interesting stories, but most of the happiness. Like some of the sometimes I remember more of the holiday that associated mm-hmm. with the purchase, yeah. which is actually quite nice as well. So like when I was buying in New York in the late nineties, early two thousand, like I used to buy I wouldn't say I bought a lot, but when we went to New York I'd drop into June pens and I'd buy a number of pens and June was like my absolute favourite store and that closed down unfortunately and they had like three or four pens around the three or four shops in the city there's a bunch of other shops that i sort of used to visit but never buy much from and sort of they're gone now so new york now city of god knows how many people like me and whatever is really only serviced by fat and hospital which i kind of get but like that internet has taken over not that internet the internet has taken (laughs) over quite considerably and in a way that sort of changes your interaction like i've bought a little bit off ebay but i've never always been i haven't had like a really bad experience but i've had a couple where it's like uh, and now i'm stuck with something Mm -hmm. that it's less than perfect and blah 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 because you can't guarantee what you're getting from ebay yeah it's more like you know you get something and it's supposed to be mint and everyone's got a different definition of mint exactly. and like the celluloid or the resin's got a scratch on okay so that could polish out but it's got to go back to italy and you've got to pack it and get it there and get it back and converse in italian it's kind of like i should have just bought it off somebody else and you would have paid a bit more whatever it's done so like for me there's ebay sellers and i guess there's ebay sellers as well mm-hmm. but even with photos right you can't really sort of pick up everything I guess if you don't if you don't intend to write with them, that's that's one aspect of the pen that you don't have to think about too much. Yeah, yeah. Condition of the yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think sort of the internet's been great in terms of it's opened yourself up to being able to buy overseas and uncover mm-hmm. stores that you'd never hear of and, and, and never be able to hear of. It's more just around like you do miss the interaction of walking into some of these old pen stores and newer pen stores and seeing what it's like and talking to people and then actually getting some of the gossip, for want of a better word, <laughs> of the background of some of this stuff. So I think my craziest interaction, because I've only really dealt with online sales and purchases, my craziest interaction would have been with an OMAS pen where I sold it to a member of the UN. Oh, wow. Yes, it was one of the, I think it was the Arco Queen, not quite Bologna. <laughs> whatever it's called. Whatever it's called. The, the yeah. rounded paragon. The rounded Arco paragon. Green, yeah, Arco Green. Rounded paragon. That's a pretty rare pen. Yes, I had the 
Like that the rounded paragon yeah. green and yeah. the rounded paragon in the brown Arco. I split the two up and I ended up selling one of them to a member of the UN. There you go. Fun fact. Fun fact. That's, right. I think that's probably the craziest experience I've had, at least online. I've had, like, I've done some, I'm not dreadful things to people, but <laughs> like, there's some people who clearly had access to a stock list, and I'm always curious as to what's not advertised, right? Mm-hmm. For whatever reason. So I'm going, I'll get this from you, but I want to see your stock list. I want to see what else you have, mm-hmm. like what's not there and what's coming. And that's taken some real effort in a way that you sort of start off being lovely and then it kind of gets a bit passive-aggressive. <laughs> um, and then you kind of realise that sometimes people just don't care about the sale and they're going, okay, well, yeah. I'll keep it. I care. You know, I won't give you my stock list. <laughs> I'll give you half my stock list. Um, or even if you don't give me your stock list, at least tell me what else you've got coming. So I found that to be interesting. It's just varying degrees, which is fine. I think you can get it everywhere. Um, but I just sort of notice that, that sometimes, I don't know, maybe you have to buy like hundreds of them in a year, um, but it takes a while to build <laughs> relationships online. <laughs> exactly. What would you consider your three favourite pens if you had to pick? I'm really attracted to the wild celluloid. A lot of people aren't. So, like, I've got so the gallery that's sitting there. There's also another pen called the Year of Light that was made in 15. And I've got that somewhere. And you put those two together, I really like them as a combination because there is some continuity there of story. There's continuity of design. I have mixed feelings about the Lucens type pens, mm-hmm. but I have to say one of the best modern limited editions they made I think the Year of Light was very good, so that's mm-hmm. the sort of sister to that or brother or sibling maybe is a more appropriate word. But this one, this loosens they made in 2013, which again is a paragon. It's the one they made of 931, well, sorry, 331. I actually thought it was a beautiful pen and one of their better modern-day pens. Mm-hmm. And that's come up a couple of times. And I remember, again, it was another pen that was acquired in a rush because I thought it was never going to happen. And then two weeks later, like another two came up. So I think that would be my three. There is a lot, like Saft and Scarlet never sort of, I never really liked it that much, and even the sort of Mustard and that I never did, and that sort of comes and goes. Um, but certainly the Wild, like I don't, don't know why, but um, a lot of people don't. It's very striking. Like it's it. very different from the other ones. Uh, probably because I don't write with it, I suspect. <laughs> so I don't have to carry it around with me in, in meetings and stuff. The other interesting thing I found, and again it was unexpected, because I never really liked the grey finish, but when I saw the original Pearl Grey, that they produced in 91 when they first released Celluloid again, which is this one, which has got more of like a marbled-type look. It's rather than like the streaky look. I actually think they're lovely, and one of the ones I have actually has a 14-carat nib, which I hadn't seen before, so I didn't realise. And it's a 14-carat nib that doesn't have that little IMAS flexible bit on it. It's actually just this type of nib, but in 14 carats. This isn't the one, but I just sort of stumbled across that. So, yeah, but that would be it, I suspect, today. And thank you for showing us your amazing, amazing pens. We're going to take some photos now while we If that's okay. And, you know, <laughs> jaws fall up, fall down a little bit further. Because this is amazing. <laughs> thank you for having me on. Oh, thank it's a you. Great, it's a great group. Thanks for being a part of it. Of course, words cannot do justice to how incredible it was to see Costa open case after case, full of colourful celluloid pens, many of which I've only ever seen in photographs, and all of them beautifully kept and maintained most of them never used and never inked. It was truly an awe-inspiring sight. Be sure to go to the Facebook page for the nib section, where you'll find photos of just a tiny selection of Costa's masses. And for part one of the Collector series, check out episode 11 from earlier in the year. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, 
rate us, review us, recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at the nibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dye, Sharon Dahr, Patrick Antolovich, and Denise Tang. Special thanks to Costa Kutsis for taking the time to speak to us. Recording and editing was done by Patrick Antolovich and Denise Tang. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening.